It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government wins a dull vote on the eviction ban, but Green Party TD Nasa Harrigan is suspended after voting with the opposition. A steep rise in hate crimes reported last year. I speak to an, ins- an assistant commissioner of Angartha Siakana. And Boris Johnson fights for his political survival. The former British Prime Minister has been up in front of MPs defending his actions during the Partygate scandal. As always, we love to hear from you. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. decision not to extend the eviction ban has taken up nearly all the political oxygen for the last few weeks. This evening, it came down to a vote and the government won that vote and won it relatively comfortably with 83 voting with the coalition and 68 against. One of those who voted against is Green Party TD Nasa Harrigan and tonight she has been suspended by the party for 15 months. Well, let's discuss this and all the fallout with journalist Aoife Moore. Minister of State for Higher Education, Niall Collins, and Sinn Féin TD, Claire Curran. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. If I want to come to you first on this news that is breaking tonight about NASA Harrigan being um, evicted for 15 months uh, from, yes, uh, from the Green Party um, for her actions in taking a stance against government. Um, 15 months, it's a, it's a long, long time in politics. It's an incredibly long time in politics. Um, we know that this isn't Nessa Harrigan's first uh, rodeo. She's voted against the government a number of times now. Um, that we've seen this before with other votes on housing and accommodation and on the National Maternity Hospital. This was well flagged. Nessa Harrigan said this a couple of weeks ago, that she would be voting against the government. The argument that she puts forward is that she is a Dublin Central TD. We know that the real, real horror and pain of the housing crisis is felt in Dublin Central. And the, the hotels and the proliferation of hotels and emergency accommodation are is in her constituency. There is none left. There's none left anywhere. But that's where the crux of the housing problem is, is in her constituency. And she said that she did not feel in any good conscience mm-hmm. that she could evict people, young people and families onto the street with nowhere else to go. And that was the point that she was making. And so it was well flagged. I do not think even Nessa Hergan thought it would be 15 months. Mm. They've also taken her... She was a chair on a committee. They've taken that away from her as well. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of thought tonight in the Hurricane House world about whether it's worth her while to even stay in the Green Party at this stage. She could cut her losses and go as an independent because realistically, it does seem that she's more and more at odds with her party. Now, she would say she's actually voting in the way that the Green Party manifesto calls on her to vote, but it's within the programme for government that she never supported in the first place. 
and that she doesn't she doesn't support the government in these housing. What 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 impact will will that have on the coalition on its majority? You know, when it comes down to other votes, which now I suppose because NASA is sort of out of the frame and suspended, mm -hmm. uh, where does it leave them? Does it leave them by taking this action as being? a little more vulnerable or in a better position? Not really, because we've seen that even tonight. You know, the government won this comfortably. You know, they can rely on other independents, mm -hmm. even if they have a shaky majority, even without the Mark McSharys and the Joe McHughes and the Nessa Harrigans of the world. They're still going to get there. I think it does just generally put the government under pressure, but that's why Sinn Féin had this motion tonight. It wasn't legally binding. It wasn't going to change anything. It was to put the government under pressure to say we are letting the eviction ban run out. OK, so the aim was to put the government under pressure, Claire Caran, but at the end, you know, it was a comfortable majority that they that they won this vote. Um, it's politically a loss for Sinn Féin tonight. Well, look, I think first and foremost, it's a loss for the 3,000 people whose notices to quit will fall due in nine days' time. Some of them will move in with family. Others will, in some cases, actually immigrate, like most of my generation have and continue to do. And others will look for emergency accommodation, which in 17 local authorities simply does not exist. And, I mean, a political loss for me, yes, put the government under pressure in relation to an issue that's really important. But second, and much more important to that, is the fact about doing the right thing. And the vote tonight will see thousands more people, and we already have approaching 12,000 homeless as it is, become homeless in nine days' time. That's what tonight's vote was about. And for me, take the politics aside, right and wrong, and the moral question that is there, people are really going to suffer, and the government still haven't answered the question, where are these people and families going to go? OK, politically, um, the fact that you couldn't influence the independents over to your side, are you disappointed by that? And we had... NASA taking a stance, but we didn't have other Green Party colleagues or anyone else within the backbenches of government mm -hmm. um, taking that stand either. Is there disappointment mm -hmm. and frustration there over that? And, and look, credit to NASA because it wasn't easy, uh, and she she took. But not her many stand. followed her. No, not many followed her, and and I think that that gives her even more credit uh, because she took the stand and she stood up for what she believed in, and she voted the way she voted. But for independence, I think the question comes back: you vote independent, and you get a very mixed bag. They will have to answer to the electorate. They will have to answer who, to people who will come to them and look for assistance as regards. I have eviction notice. Where am I going to go? They're going to have to answer that question, and the question over the fact that if you vote independent, what are you going to get? There was a comment made this evening in relation to, you know, what are you getting for your vote this evening? What that is, I do not know. All right. But they'll have Let, difficult questions. Let's to ask Niall Collins say. then. You had to bring the independents on board in order um, to get this majority and that they'll rely on them to get you over the line. Um, as Jed Nash said, you had to essentially buy their support. How much will it cost you? Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. It's not about buying anybody's support. Is it not? I mean, like you had, I mean, there was that crunch meeting. There was the meeting of the coalition leaders and they decided a counter response. And then there was, you know, these eight demands and a number of demands being put forward by the independents. They all got very high level meetings. And at the end of the day, they were included in your counter response. Well, go government is prepared to talk to any member of Dollar, And I think that's the right way to do business. It it's not about winners and losers. It's about doing the right thing. And we have a very ambitious housing programme where we're delivering um, big numbers of houses, housing for all. It's a multi-annual funded plan for the next 10 years. Um, you know, the idea that all of this would hinge on one aspect just isn't the case. It's multifaceted. There's social, there's affordable, there's cost rental. But it did, well, it did come down to this. It did uh, essentially come down to the government decision to lift the eviction ban 
and there has been political fallout from that Niall Collins, you would concede. Yeah, but it was brought in as a temporary measure. It was brought in during COVID and was brought in subsequently and there's legal advice there in relation to it. You're, you're looking into the whole area of property rights. It didn't work. Homelessness went up. Uh, we've had a flight of uh, small landlords in particular out of the rental sector. That's a huge, huge okay. issue. And, you know, people... We can't... will hear homeless agencies saying, actually, no, it did work because that, that number and the record homeless figures we're seeing now would have been far greater um, should the eviction ban have been in place. Should yeah, the but, eviction ban not have been but, in place but, during the, but the duration you, of the you six can't months? Have a, you can't have a functioning rental sector if you have uh, landlords leaving the market. And mm -hmm. that was clearly happening. So we've we got to bring about a situation where you, you stem... Although, of you course, stem. they couldn't leave the market if the eviction ban was in place. So, look, I mean, it's about increasing supply. We, we've been doing that. And, and, and I just want to make this point because it, it gets lost. Uh, and we started out the programme talking in relation to Nessa Horrigan and Dublin Central. Uh, if you look at the Dublin area and Sinn Féin in particular, Mary Lou has objected to 2,000 housing units in her own constituency uh, right across the city of Dublin. Sinn Féin representatives have objected to 6,000 yeah. houses. We, and if you go across the greater Dublin area, that's 12,000 yeah. housing we units. We had Mary Lou MacDonald on the, on yeah, the but, show but, on Monday and we asked her specifically are, about that question. And, and she points. talked about the, the, the housing that was built, the type of housing that was being built and whether that was affordable housing for people yeah. who need it now. Maybe those people who may the, be the bottom, the bottom facing line eviction. The bottom line they're real housing units which Sinn Féin have stopped. And we would have them here today. So while they're crying crocodile tears in relation to uh, the issues that are out there, they have stopped the building of houses crocodile in the capital tears, city Claire. and right around the country. Crocodile tears is what I mean, um, Niall Collins is saying laughable. tonight. The government are still saying their housing plan is working. They've, is they've working. missed their targets in relation to social housing for three years now in a row. No, We're we waiting haven't. to see. Yes, you have for no, three years haven't. in a row. 1,500 was the, the loss last year in relation to the number it's delivered, not delivered. Affordable That's targets true. are going to be announced shortly and they're going to be missed as well. That's quite clear. There are 3,000 plus children in the state tonight sleeping in emergency accommodation. They are homeless, and yet the government keep telling us their housing plan is working. So how and many more children will have to be? And Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil councillors everywhere houses, object which is to four housing. Times That's the number that you've no. just quoted. And I remember the journal doing a fact check homeless. on this recently, and that was found 12, not to be houses. the case, Niall. And okay. the more you say it, doesn't make it any more All right, true. Aoife, true. Aoife, Aoife. Um, just on this, um, it was comfortable in the end, as we yeah. said. And Sinn Féin, do you believe they put a lot of weight on this? particular uh, vote and now it, it has not paid off? Uh, no, it has paid off for Sinn Féin. This is, this is how it works. Sinn Féin don't actually have to do anything that effectively in opposition. All they have to do is let the government continue in what they're doing because what they are doing in housing is not working. It is clear it is not working. I think the notion they say, oh, the eviction ban didn't work and it, it, homelessness got higher, that says more about the government and the government's housing plan than it says about the eviction ban because we have experts like Focus Ireland and Peter McVeary telling us, we don't have to listen to the opposition, we don't have to listen to the government, listen to the people at the coalface who are telling us we are facing a tsunami of homelessness. And the ironic thing is, most people with children will look to family members mm -hmm. to take them in when they become homeless and then they won't be counted as homeless anymore. They because, won't be in the official figures. Because they will not be counted I, in the official figures. I want figures. to ask you, Niall, on, on the government response because whether or not you thought a lot hinged on this, you still came out with a big document full of, full of promises, essentially, for what you're going to uh, bring on street now and we see disputes already about what's been built what targets have been reached or not reached and we consistently hear this bickering and this to and fro on what is being done and I want to know if you're making this list of promises if you're saying about tenant and 
constitutive schemes, if you're saying that you will, you know, try all you can to keep people out of homelessness, will you be giving regular updates on how that's all going? Or are these Absolutely. promises and well, this, this talk today, is it going to just fade away? No, of course it's not going to fade away because we're all dealing with it as public representatives every so day. Should we expect we... more communication? Because there is an issue around the communication. We're getting on figures on whether councils are buying houses, whether the tenant in situ scheme, which we keep hearing from Dara Brown, has been you know established, well established, whether it's working or not, whether it's, it's keeping people in their homes. Well, well it we, is working. We I, I can tell you my, my own local authority in Limerick purchased 40 uh, residential units last year. Um, there's a dedicated unit being set up within Darrell O'Brien's department to oversee it and to drive on that. I think it's a very, very progressive scheme. And the other measures which um, the government has announced, which the minister is going to bring in um, in the next two weeks to allow uh, people the first option to, to purchase uh, where the landlord is selling the house, or you can have a cost rental option, or you can have a shared equity option. Is this all yeah. going to be as fast track? I mean, that yes, there are all these proposals absolutely. there, the, but they require some require legislation. Yeah, and that legislation will be fast tracked. And, and I would when hope are we I, expecting to see that? That possibly next week. Dar O'Brien. In every legislation, if we, we were bring here in, in July. The the, the the legislation will. I, I don't know exactly when it'll come in, but I'm told they'll start working on it next week. If it's, emergen if it's emergency legislation, it, it can be brought in very, very quickly. Okay. And I hope you'll support it, Claire, unlike all the other legislation that, that, that we've brought in yeah, that you've objected to. OK, but it's to. not coming in next week. I mean, it's, it's, it's now on the table. Well, it, it'll come in and it'll, okay. be, it'll be put into effect. Um, look, uh, in terms of, of where, where, where uh, when that is, we'll have to see. Um, in terms of where Sinn Féin go now, we're, we're hearing about this Labour... Um, motion of no confidence in the government to come next week. Um, I take it that Sinn Féin will, will be supporting that, should it be tabled? Yes, we have no confidence in the government, so we will support any such motion. Uh, we haven't given up in relation to seeking the extension of the eviction ban. Uh, we're going to look at other routes and means now that we have in order to put additional pressure on the government because at the end of the day, the question hasn't been answered. I know there are 211 people in Limerick uh, with eviction notices. I know that the emergency accommodation there has a waiting list. They're turning away 10 people every day. That's the reality. In my own constituency, there are little or no rental properties. In the main towns, there are none at all. We have over 340 notices to quit. Where are these people going to go? Okay, so Again, that's something Sinn Féin will be, will be yes, keeping we will tabs be on as well. And we'll continue to pursue. Okay, um, Niall Collins, just, um, just to refer to a doll statement that you made at the start of this month, uh, which sought to clarify details around the 2001 planning application with, around your, your, your own home, which was at the centre of some controversy. Are you entirely satisfied that matters are cleared up here now? Absolutely, absolutely. I complied with planning policy. I laid it out quite clearly in my doll statement that I made last week, or sorry, the week before uh, uh, the doll didn't March sit 2nd. last week. Absolutely, yeah. That mm. was almost 23 years ago. I fully complied with planning policy. OK, because uh, there is one question that would appear to be outstanding, which is really at, at the heart of these allegations, and that's whether a form you submitted contained incorrect information about where you were living at the time. Yeah, the, 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 point, the point is, it didn't matter where you were living or didn't matter... Well, uh, it did because you had to write it down on a form. So was that information which you wrote down on the form in 2001? Well, I'm, I'm not going to go into my personal living circumstances and the form was completed by the agent, but I would say this... I fully... Well, no, I actually think that's important because at the time you were requested to clearly demonstrate 
your need for the proposed dwelling and the form stated the applicant proposed to build his own family home and move out of his parents' house. Were you living in your parents' house at the time? The, 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 point, the point I want to be very clear about is this. Housing need was not a requirement within... Were you living in your parents' house at the time, as you said you were on the form? Well, I, I'm not going to go into my personal living circumstances. Well, why, I, I, I why don't, don't you? I don't... Because Damien English had to, and in fact, he resigned over the uh, matter in January. That circumstances were different because planning policy was different then in Damien English at, the, how, at that point in time. How were they different? He also Be gave... Well, I don't know whether you gave incorrect information. Because, you tell me, were you living it, in your parents' it, house it, in 2001? It's, it's not about, the point I'm trying to make to you is this. It's not about where you were living. It's about complying with the policy. Well, it's, I, the point is I, about I, incorrect whether the information on no, a planning application. So it's not about whether. So did no, you give in, incorrect in order, information in on a planning to, application? In order, comply, in order to comply with with the planning policy, there was four criteria published within the 1999 Limerick County Development Plan. And in order to qualify for a planning permission, you needed to fulfil one of the criteria. I fulfilled two, two okay. of the criteria. If you were living in, in Dora Doyle at the time, why did you put Patrick's Well as your address? Because that was my home address. That was but where not I, where you were that, living. That was where I came from. I'm not going to go into my personal uh, living circumstances, Claire. I, I think that... Why not? Is, is that because that's my personal living circumstances. But, if, from... but I'm asking that because it's actually on a planning application, which for some reason, if it doesn't matter, then why wasn't the well, correct well, address I, written? I'm, 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 giving you, I'm giving you the answer that I'm prepared to give, that I qualified under the planning... I clearly qualified under the planning criteria at the time. So we're not going to get an answer to that question tonight? I'm not tonight. going to go into my personal living circumstances. OK, That's we're not going to get... Life. All right, OK. Well, it is a question that was asked of Damien English and... And, um, Damien, and Damien English's planning um, circumstances were com entirely different they were almost 12 years hence, where the planning policy was completely different. All right, that but it is still came point. down to information that was put down on a planning application? No, it didn't. Not for me. No, it didn't. OK, so... The, that's, the... that's a distinct difference. OK, so we're not to going to get it. an answer on if no, you were living what, what in Dora Doyle, why Patrick's well was put as What I'm saying to you is, I clearly qualified under two headings okay. of four, where okay. I only had to fulfil right. one. OK. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't have a clear answer on that tonight to that outstanding question. But we are going to leave it there. Um, my thanks to Claire Curran. Aoife and Niall will be staying on with me. We will discuss the 30% rise in hate crimes reported last year um, after the break. So do stay with us. Welcome back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
There's been a 29% increase in hate crime and hate-related incidents last year, according to figures released by the Gardaí. Race was the most prevalent discriminatory motive, accounting for 32% of incidents. Sexual orientation was at 22% and nationality accounted for 21%. Uh, well, earlier I spoke to Paula Hillman, Angartha Siakona's Assistant Commissioner for Roads, Policing and Community Engagement, and I began by asking her... What accounts for that significant rise? Well, I see it uh, coming from partly a lot of work we've been doing to encourage reporting of hate crime. We've applied a lot of the same principles that we have done with domestic abuse, which is also an underreported crime to hate crime, to encourage people to report it. So we really have focused, um, since we launched our, our diversity strategy, um, to, to identify um, where and how we can build trust in communities to report hate crime. So... Is the prevalence increasing? We don't think so, but we do think that people have the confidence and trust now to come and report it to Angarda Shikona. OK, so you see this as something positive, that more people are coming forward to report um, this crime rather than incidents being on the rise year on year to the point of, you know, a 30% rise in reported incidents. We do. I mean, in an ideal world, um, hate crime wouldn't happen, but it is happening and we need to, to stop it. And to stop it, we need to hear people's voices uh, and encourage them to, to, to report it to us. So we do see it in that regard, because if you look across social media, or people's experiences, you hear people talking about their experiences. Mm -hmm. So the fact they're reporting it, reporting it to us is a positive. And in defining hate crime, what sort of incidents have been reported to the Gardaí? What cases have you handled? If you could give us an example. Well, when we're looking at what's, what we've seen over the last two years, the majority of hate crime that we see is, is uh, criminal damage, we see assaults and we see public order offences. So it's people perhaps being verbally abusive, um, using uh, inappropriate language, um, connected with some disordered behaviour, uh, assaults, both minor, uh, and maybe pushing people or, or, or also increasing to slightly you know, more higher levels of assault. OK, and has there been convictions in relation to these reported incidents, you know, in terms of how far they've gone beyond the initial reporting of the crime? We have. I mean, our role is, is to present the evidence to the DPP and then uh, to the courts. But we are seeing uh, convictions. Uh, we're seeing convictions both when we've had complaints from victims, but also on the evidence of Gardaí who have witnessed some, some hate crimes. OK, um... The Irish Network Against Racism, which has released its own data as well on, um, on racism and racist incidents reported to them, says it is an everyday reality for minority groups here. But they also say that the persistent levels of repeat harassment and the continued lack of clear responses when they are reported to authorities is a cause for ongoing concern. Um, is that something that you're going to take on board? Well, we have been working um, steadfastly in, in this area since really for a number of years. But our focus work has come from 2019 when we launched our, our diversity and integration strategy. And we will continue uh, in that work and actually building on the work we've done. Um, yesterday, we were present when the National Action Plan Against Racism was launched. And we want to be part of the other uh, you know, partners right across government and how we respond um, to hate crime and to racist incidents. But I think the most important thing for us as well is how we can work with partners such as INR to encourage them um, to um, work with us as a third-party reporter. So people can... We've just, at the end of last year, uh, finalised protocols where third parties, with the consent of the victim, can report to Gardaí. So going into this year, 
in addition to all the work we've done previously, we are really keen that we use those third-party reporting mechanisms to encourage people... So additional reporting on top of the original incident in order to, I suppose, copper-fasten that reporting and, and get a response to it? Well, just perhaps people who go to um, NGOs uh, and um, civil society organisations to encourage them, where, especially where an offence has been committed, that they use their influence to encourage them to report it to Angarda Shikona. You mentioned the Government Action Plan um, yesterday and uh, indeed it was launched um, by the Taoiseach and the ministers involved and they've said that eliminating racial profiling by Gardaí is among priority measures um, in, this, in this government plan. The Taoiseach himself coming out yesterday and said racial profiling by Gardaí probably does happen and it has to change. Is he right? Well, at the moment, in terms, we don't have any data. We cannot, um, for example, in Stop and Search, we cannot legally collect that data. So we don't have the information that perhaps a lot, other, a lot of other police services have. But what we are aware of, if people give us and tell us stories about some of their experiences, and what we want to do is learn from those, but we're very committed to seeing what we can do with our own people about raising that unconscious bias that, that may exist. Do you think it does exist? Well, I think all of us, I think, I think we're naive if any of us say that, that we don't have some unconscious bias. So what we have done within Angarda Shikona is we have uh, launched a training programme that includes that awareness of unconscious bias. You know, 83% of our people have undertaken this hate crime training. Over 2,000 of us have undertaken human rights training. So understanding those, those, um, those principles and that we can apply that in our everyday interactions. The vast majority of our people will go out, they will do the right thing. As we have seen, some of our own members are, are the witnesses in these hate crimes. But we want to always improve our service. So we will listen and we will learn from the, from the lived experiences of others. OK, we'll have to leave it there. Assistant Commissioner uh, Paula Hillman, thank you for joining us in studio tonight. Well, Aoife Moore and Niall Collins are still here with me and I'm also joined by Dil Vikrasimha, uh, a psychotherapist and founder of Insight Matters. You're very welcome along to the programme, Dil. And we were just listening to Paula Hillman there on what, what she's accounting for um, the, the rise that we have seen in reported uh, hate crime in this country. As a person of colour from the LGBTQ plus community, when we tick, look... Tick, at, tick. Tick, yeah. <laughs> but when we look at those two... Um, motives being discriminatory motives being, you know, the top two for this, this sort of crime. Yeah. Are you surprised at the jump in figures at all? No, unfortunately, I've been living in Ireland for 23 years and I've been very passionate about creating an inclusive and more compassionate Ireland since I got here as an activist, as a, as a journalist, now as a psychotherapist. Um, I, I found, unfortunately, like, look, look at the National Action Plan Against Racism. It's been 15 years since this plan has, like, I remember when the, the one that was there before, um, and I remember being a journalist at the time going, okay, this is really good. But then it just, everything just stopped. There was a number of uh, structures that ha had been put in place, you know, uh, to, to actually stop us from getting here. But for some reason, there was like about 15 years of nothing happening. And now it was a classic case of the can being kicked down the road. And now we're, we're seeing this. and and. As I'm part of multiple um, minority groups, I know that members of these various communities don't feel safe anymore. And as a psychotherapist, founder of Inside Matters, where we have 100 therapists and it, we, we set up the practice to really support the mental health of minority groups, we see in, in the therapeutic space the, these issues coming up because people don't feel safe in Ireland. Yeah. And we could have seen this coming years ago. 
Um, I'm interested because I asked that of, of the Assistant Commissioner and I said, what do you feel this rise is down to? And she said, well, actually, it's a good thing. It means that more people are coming forward. They feel uh, safe and comfortable in reporting these crimes to the authorities. Um, do you believe that that's the case, that there's more um, awareness around it and that's why people are coming forward and they feel they can or that we're becoming a more hateful country? Well, purely based on what happened in last November, the East Wall uh, the demonstrations, they, they were anti-migrant, they were anti-refugees. I mean, they just started in November and they went on and on and on. And of course, we had this amazing uh, Island for All, you know, uh, March on the 18th and of February. And specifically on the issue of of hate, hate crime, I yeah. suppose, and incidents against people. Yeah, but th th those, those demonstrations made people fearful. Like, I know people, when they heard about the demonstration, including myself, I was like, oh, my God, can I walk down the street? You know, and already from an LGBTQ point of view, there's been, you know, practically every month there is someone who is being bashed in, in Dublin, you know. So so then on top of that, you put colour on top on top of that. You you, you don't feel safe anymore. And, and uh, for me, from a mental health point of view, you, you have people who don't feel safe and... I asked the question, what kind of island do you want our children to grow up in? You know, I, I have two small kids, mm -hmm. a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and I, I'd like them to grow up in a country that is compassionate and inclusive. Yeah. Uh, is there a problem, Niall, and everyone will welcome um, an action report on racism that the government has launched this plan, but it's the first national plan in more than a decade? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well... First point to make is we're a really multicultural country now. The census has proved that and you only have to look around you. Um, and I think that it's great to see all these new cultures in Ireland and being very involved in society, being involved in every aspect of Irish life, whether it's sport, culture, whatever. I think I really think it's great to see that. And I think we have to take every step to ensure that there's uh, that acts of hatred or incitement to hatred or acts of violence against uh, minority groups has to be stood up to and called out at the highest possible, um, you know, at every level within government. There's legislation going through the Dáil criminal, criminal Justice Incitement to Violence and Hate Offences Bill. That's going to be an updating legislation because currently um, any offences are dealt with under the Non-Fatal Offences okay. Against the Persons Act or under public um, order. We'll get on. We, we will get on to the hate crime laws. We will get yeah. on to that. But I want to ask you, Niall Collins, the fact that there hasn't been an action plan in more than a decade, what does that say? Yeah, I, I think, obviously, that that's something we, we should be... There, there should be an action plan. Obviously, there should be an action plan. Lack think, of political will? I, I don't think so. I, I think um, I, I think in the last couple of years, we, we've seen uh, more uh, cultures coming into this country. We've seen more inward migration. So it's gone up along uh, yeah. the agenda. Is it because the EU had pushed you to come up with a plan by the end of last year? Like, you had to do it? And that's why it's being done now. But actually, it's been a long time coming. If we're talking about people maybe not feeling safe and not feeling that, uh, seeing um, a reported rise uh, in incidents around um, racism, for example, that it's, it's coming now, but maybe it's coming a little late. Well, look, it's the right thing to do. And I think government are, are, are right to act on it. It's good to see on Garda Shia Khan have set up dedicated units within their structures to deal with it also. And they've set up dedicated officers, even in the world of politics, our own... My political party, Fianna Fáil, and other political parties have diversity officers, and I think that's very, very All important. Right. Diversity officers um, within political parties. Is there some headway being made here, Aoife? No. 
I mean, let's be realistic. You know, the Dáil is one of the whitest workplaces in Ireland. The only people of colour who are in Leinster House tend to work in the canteen or, or wherever else. I think there needs. I think what has happened is Ireland. And pride, our And our Taoiseach. I think what pride we used to pride ourselves like we're not a racist country. We're so much better than these other places. We looked at places like France and Italy and said, "Oh, that'll never be us." We are as racist as every other Western. European democracy, and we have rested on our laurels for mm -hmm. too long. People of colour have been telling us for a long time that they are scared, that they don't have trust in the Gardaí, and it is getting worse. And we have seen that with the build-up of rhetoric around the refugee crisis, around you know these really awful intimidation. They're not protests; it's the intimidation that we saw outside hotels, and that is now making it worse. But it has always been there, and the fact that it hasn't had a strategy for ten years is laughable. So you pointed to a lack of diversity in the doll. Do you yeah. believe that's at the heart of that? That the, oh, no. the, I think the doll is a reflection of society. I think what, what the government needs to lead from the front, it should be a model. Is it reflecting a diverse society now? Um, you know, we talk about sort of gender quotas and getting more women into politics, but it is interesting that you say that, that it's one of the whitest places in Ireland, that yeah. we, we don't have the increasing diversity that we're seeing in this country. I would also point out the, that the media is one of the whitest um, careers that you can have in Ireland as well. I think there needs to be a top-down approach. And as you said, the European Union forced the government's hand on this. Mm. And the fact that we don't have hate crime legislation, proper hate crime legislation, in 2023 is ridiculous. OK, let's talk about something that uh, Leo Varadkar did bring up yesterday, Dale. And in fact, it's something contained in the action plan, and that's... Uh, you know, talking about the fact that he believed there was racial profiling mm. um, used by Garthi. Mm. Um, do you believe there is? Do you believe that there is systemic racism mm. um, in this country? And what do you think of the fact that uh, Leah Vradker alluded to it yesterday? Yeah, in fact, he went as far as saying that he, he, he believes that it does happen. It happens inadvertently. Like, it's not malicious, it's not done on purpose. But the reality, as human beings, we all have prejudices. You know, so you have to constantly, um, like, you know, we, because we are grown up in a society that's racist, homophobic, all of that, we're going to have these prejudices. So we have to constantly work at uh, eliminating these. But I haven't seen enough of um, that, that, I suppose, those initiatives within the, within the Gardaí and, and awareness. Like, the one thing I thought of, yes, of course, uh, the National Action Plan, very important. But apart from this, what about national campaigns supported by the government? Every time I hear or see any kind of campaign that is trying to um, raise awareness about inclusion and creating a more inclusive society, it's always spearheaded by NGOs, by you know, small you know, advocacy groups uh, who have a very limited budget, you know, and, and that's really okay. not right. It should be, from a government perspective, across the board, a no hatred, zero tolerance uh, of hatred in Ireland, where, where it's not just migrants, it's everybody, travellers, it's people of okay. LGBTQI+, you know. Um, what, what do you make of that, uh, Niall Collins? We had this statement, as they from Taoiseach, um, the Taoiseach yesterday saying, you know, racial profiling exists. There was also, uh, he also talked about rooting out systemic racism that he believes is there. But um, do you think that the, the, the campaign around it is sort of government-led enough, as Dill was saying, or is it up to minority groups to fight for themselves? I, I think it's everybody, everybody in society has to play their role in, in combating racism, whether it's at an individual, at a group level, at a corporate level, at a, you know, voluntary level. Uh, every, yeah, everybody should we know the government, I suppose, that's where the state yeah, Lead, so, so go, leads go, on on these big to, on has, these big social issues. Yeah, well, government has to enable. We we have to provide robust legislation. We have to resource on Garda Síochána to to deal with the issues, and that's been worked on. 
Um, as I said, there's new legislation, legislation at second stage, which hopefully will be enacted uh, before the summer recess. The Gardaí have a lot of um, work put into creating a diversity and integration unit. Um, they have uh, specialist teams out there, uh, specialist um, members of Vanguard, Shia Khanna. They have uh, ethnic minorities within within the force also. I think that is right. Our own political party, we, we look for diversity uh, mm. in trying to stand candidates, particularly in local elections. Um, general elections will be different. If take up what Aoife is saying in relation to the doll is all predominantly, I think you said white, was mm. um, I don't to misquote you. Um, you know, if you wanted to bring about another, um, if you want to bring more diversity into Dáil, you're possibly looking at a fundamental change and bringing in a, a list system or, you know, a fundamental change in your electoral system to the Houses of Parliament. But um, I think my own view is the vast majority of the people of people in Ireland are very tolerant and are not inherently racist. That's just my own view. Obviously, we have small, they're small minorities, and, and that. Do tends... you see it? Grow, do you see? Do you think is it something government are worried about? Do do they worry about an increase in say um, racist sentiment? And more than that, actually, when we're talking about hate crime, it is you know the LGBTQ plus community as well. Oh, yes. um, I mean, it goes down nationality as well. Is there? We're not just talking about racism. Um, and the Taoiseach talked about, you know, they're seeing more hate, more anger. He talked yeah. about that I in recent weeks. I think that's a fair comment. Would you say that's I, fair? I, I, is that something that's kind of a concern? It is a concern. And, and something that's under discussion? It absolutely is a concern, and we're hearing more about it, particularly because of social media. Pe people are becoming more aware of incidents that happen uh, through social media, some of the protests that we see um, which are happening, which are regrettable. Uh, they tend to get amplified on social media and get picked up more. Mm. So it, obviously it's a concern. But uh, just, just on social media, th th there's a lot of dangerous misinformation on social media that, that, that really vilifies migrants and, 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 and connects them to criminal acts. And, and that's just, you know, like I would love to see something a bit more robust around that because if, if we can tackle the misinformation on social media, that can actually cre create less I, hatred. But that, then you have to get have, to the social have media seen the, Have you seen the government action plan. I have, but it doesn't have anything about social media in it. Right. That's interesting that you brought it up as being sort of an issue, but it's not addressed in the action plan now. Yeah, and, and it's an issue which social media, the social media platforms have to address also. And, and that's, that, that's an issue not just in, in relation to racism and hate crimes. It's an issue which goes right across society in terms of bullying and online trolling of you know various aspects. I, I think we need to see a far more uh, moderated and response um, from from the social media companies, but also just common decency from people who are using um, social media themselves and mm. some people who engage in trolling. I mean, it's just uh, entirely it, despicable. In terms of where this is going, um, Niall mentioned about, you know, hate crime laws and hopes of, you know, that legislation moving forward. Um, it, it, is it happening at a pace now? It's not happening at a pace, but it is happening. So I spoke to um, one of the advisors to the Minister for Justice earlier, and they said they hope to have it before the summer recess. Um, it's still going through. Sorry, it's still going through the houses, but it should be in by the summer recess. But as Dill said, you know, there's a lot of been kicking the can down the road. There's been a lot of talk about this for a long time. I believe Charlie Flanagan was the Justice Minister when this was first flagged. <laughs> um, so that's a number of years ago now that we're talking. So. I think when it comes to priorities, this has very much been put on the back burner. And maybe with all that's happened in the last year, maybe now it's been pushed to the forefront again.
All right. OK, um, just one more thing. And we mentioned about, you know, and we were asking Paula Hillman about that, about what's been done at community level and and what we, what we hear from groups saying, you know, when we complain, when we say something has happened to us, it's not it's not always taken seriously by authorities there. And I wonder, is there a resourcing issue and a training issue there as well, Niall Collins? We hear it consistently from Garthi. We're not being resourced enough to be down at community level um, to be you know, increased dialogue between Garthi and the, and the community. Is that something that really needs to be looked at if we're shouldering a lot, I suppose, on, on the authorities to, to help uh, prevent crime at this level? Yeah, well, what I would say to people, anybody who, who experiences any kind of a race crime or, or a hatred act, they, they need to report it officially to Angarda Siakana. It's my experience as a public representative, a lot of people who experience, um, uh, who have a, a negative experience, whatever, of whatever description, uh, some report it to Angarda Siakana. They don't report it the right way. I think it has to be done in writing, go in in person, make a formal complaint. Uh, sometimes people make a phone call to a Garda station. Sometimes it doesn't get recorded. Sometimes it's not followed. Or Whose not fault is that? Uh, that it, it's, it's both parties' fault, in my view. Uh, the person who is making the complaint should uh, ensure that the complaint is in writing. And obviously, there's an onus on Garda Siakana to treat every uh, victim of crime uh, or alleged victim of crime or someone who's reporting an incident that needs to be really, really taken seriously. And that, and the Garda Siakana... So it's up that, to the individual or alleged victim of crime to ensure that they have it in writing, go to the Garda station well, and go make through sure a series of... Make sure... That I, I, I'm just giving you my experience as a public representative from people who have come to me and, and who are reflecting to me some of their experiences. And there's a, a, a serious onus on Garda Siakana to take every uh, approach to them from uh, victims of crime very, right. very seriously. OK, we, we will have to leave that there. Lots more coming up after this break, including uh, did we see Boris Johnson's last stand today? We'll have the latest as the former British Prime Minister faces MPs over the Partygate scandal. The words Boris Johnson and Westminster drama have gone hand in hand many times over the last few years and today was no different. The former British Prime Minister was up in front of a committee of MPs over the Partygate scandal. Do you remember that? He wanted to make clear that he did not lie to the Houses of Parliament. I'm here to say to you, hand on heart, that I did not lie to the House. When those statements were made, they were made in good faith and on the basis of what I honestly knew and believed at the time. When this inquiry was set up, I was completely confident that you would find nothing to show I knew or believed anything else, as indeed you have not. I was confident, not because there's been some kind of cover-up, I was confident because I knew that is what I believed, and that is why I said it. OK, so that was Boris Johnson. Uh, that was his line of defence. Uh, let's speak to journalist Enda Brady. Um, Enda, we've heard, um, we've heard this before, I suppose, um, from, uh, from Boris Johnson, but uh, that he never knowingly lied to Parliament. After hours of a grilling, did, did that land at all? Look, I think he was very well briefed in advance. He had a significant lawyer sitting behind him there, the most expensive uh, KC King's Council in Britain, Lord Panic. He was very well briefed. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. And he kind of set the tone at the outset. He actually arrived with a Bible and he swore on the Bible ahead of his testimony. 
to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So it was quite a statement. It's been 10 years since anyone swore on a Bible in Parliament here. Johnson, how did he do? At times blundering, at times brilliant, indignant, defiant, typical Boris Johnson, really. He will feel that he won that. He's a supremely confident man, but he was fighting for his political future here. He really was, Claire. Yeah, um, uh, I suppose he was fighting for that. And also, was he fighting for his own perceived legacy? Does he believe he has a strong, a strong legacy? And the other question is, a lot of people will associate him, of course, with um, what he did and didn't do uh, during the pandemic. This party, I suppose, being at the heart of all that, is it still a very emotive thing um, for people in the UK? Is it still angering an awful lot of people? I think the people who are most angry are those who suffered badly during lockdown, people who had funerals and were only allowed to have a handful of mem family members present. You know, that's still raw for a lot of people. In terms of the public opinion, I think people are split. You know, cost of living crisis here, same as in Ireland. People are worried about money. Some people just want to move on. Some people want to forget COVID and forget Boris Johnson. He himself, I've known Johnson nearly 25 years. I live in the same area of Oxfordshire. I see him around. I've interviewed him countless times. And he is someone, trust me, in terms of writing a legacy, he feels there's still another chapter to come. Mm. That's why he took this so seriously today. He's obsessed with Churchill, and Churchill was leader, got booted out, and came back in. And that is exactly what he wants to do. Now, I'm told that his office in London is very sparse, and he has a rugby ball on the table. And the significance of that, he has repeatedly said over the years that if a loose ball comes out of the back of the scrum, he will pick it up and run with it. He's waiting for Rishi Sunak to slip up and Boris Johnson very definitely feels he could have another run at number 10. All right, OK. Well, then we won't kind of equate it with um, England rugby fortunes from, from last weekend, but uh, <laughs> we'll leave it there. End of Brady, thank you for joining us with that, um, with that update uh, from the UK and from Boris Johnson's testimony, as it were. Aoife Moore is still here with me. Um, Aoife, on this, like Boris Johnson, like he hasn't gone away. Um, uh, and from what End is saying, he certainly believes he's a real chance of coming back. Um, will this do damage to that, do you think? Or, you know, will God, he just continue God and plough on? God me the confidence, of, a smudging of the confidence of Boris Johnson. During that committee hearing today, he said he felt that these parties were essential for work purposes, as it was his job to keep up morale during the pandemic. He said, hand on heart, until his dying day, he believed that it was OK. Myself, and I'm sure Boris Johnson's wives would tell you, if Boris Johnson told me that the sky was blue, I would go out and check. This man is allergic to telling the truth. And the despite notion... Bringing the Bi despite bringing, despite uh, bringing the Bible, the Bible in the Bible today, saying he never today. knowingly lied Listen, to Parliament. You can do anything in politics when you have no shame. And Boris Johnson mm -hmm. has absolutely no shame. If what happened to Boris Johnson in his political career happened to any of us, we would go away and crawl into a hole. He thinks he's due a comeback. Now, he is also, though, meddling around the place because with the Windsor framework, he was trying to put uh, the kibosh on this, you know, newly agreed protocol deal, but it ultimately went through. Um, is this, is it the end of, of the Brexit the Brexit drama, I suppose, as far as they're concerned in Westminster? As far as they're concerned in some parts of Westminster, it's over the notion that people like Jacob Rees-Mogg or Boris Johnson care about the people of Northern Ireland is also laughable. 
for parts of Westminster. And as Enda said, they have a cost of living crisis too. The NHS is on its knees. Mm. They want to get on with stuff. And for the most part, they don't care about Northern Ireland on the best of days. They want this to end now. What is happening though is that the DUP have made it clear that, that they're not going back to Stormont. So for Rishi Sunak and the Secretary of State, Chris Heaton Harris, it's not over. This is just the beginning. What the difference is now, negotiations with Brussels are done. Rishi Sunak is not going to stop to the DUP anymore. So where does this leave DUP issues? Because um, they have said they won't be returning to Stormont. They told the ERG, the Conservative, the, the, the more right wing, uh, wing of the Conservatives, uh, that they won't be returning. Like, what's their strategy here? Like, ultimately, I suppose they don't have to. I mean, this, this, can, con this can continue. It can continue until December, when that's the date that we would have to have another election if Stormont um, stays suspended until then. This is incredibly um, depressing. I'm a relatively young person, and this is the most pessimistic I have felt about Northern Ireland mm. politics in a very long time. I think the DUP have painted themselves into a corner, and there was a very interesting poll that came out today, a snap poll that came out today in the Irish News, that said for the majority of DUP voters, that they canvassed, over 30% of them were actually in favour of the Windsor framework. We know that all the business groups are, are in favour of it. Okay. All the other parties are as well. The DUP are on their own mm -hmm. on this island, and I don't know where this ends. OK, uh, there we'll have to leave it for now. My thanks to Aoife, all our panellists tonight. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok um, at Tonight VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. <laughs>